Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Good morning, my friends. I sure am glad you are here. Uh, This is one of those strange Sundays where we find ourselves sandwiched between the Paulding County Schools and the Cobb County Schools fall break. And so uh, I'm grateful for those of y'all who are here in this morning. And if you are enjoying fall break uh, online with us today, a very warm and special welcome to you as well who might be here for the very first time at Hope Church. If we have not yet had the opportunity to meet, my name is and I'm thrilled that we can be together and worship this morning. Let's make sure this is plugged in. All right, very good. So today we are concluding our current message series, which has been called Upside Down, which is developed garner a biblical worldview in a culture world that seems to be opposed to a biblical worldview. One of the common themes throughout this series, and hopefully this isn't going to keep happening, y'all, sorry. Um, one of the common themes is that when we look at the world, we might be inclined to think that we are the only ones that have ever gone through any of the difficulties and the struggles that we are experiencing. Uh, and that just simply isn't the case. Ever since creation, when Cain and Abel had their falling out, uh, you look in, into Noah and the ark, people have been uh, just living opposite of the way that God designed and intended for us to live. And no matter where we are in time when it comes to that, we may think that we are the only generation that has ever experienced some of this absolutely bizarre stuff. But when we look at how Jesus taught, how Jesus lived, and what Jesus encouraged and commanded us to do, the reality is is that the issues that we see and we face today in life are consistent with what we as human beings have been doing since the fall from the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate from the fruit. And so as we come to our final message in this series, uh, this really works as an epilogue, so to speak. Last week was the climax of the, of the Beatitudes. This week sort of serves as, if you will, an epilogue. And this might be a good time, if you've not done so yet, to pull out your uh, Hope Church Plus app on your internet-enabled device and follow along with the follow-along notes, or if you prefer the pen and paper method, they are available to you as well inside your info guide. But going through these really, really quickly, we looked at how the very first beatitude is blessed are those who are poor in spirit, meaning that we are absolutely bankrupt without God. And we talk about bankruptcy, we're talking more about spirituality. We may think that we are the ones who bring all the goodness to the world and all the goodness to God even, but what Jesus said from the very jump here at the Beatitudes is that spiritually we are bankrupt without God. Next we looked at blessed are those who mourn. And this means that we need to mourn our sinfulness and our separation from God. And when we do that, we are able to seek God's comfort and then recognize that we are to be deployed to go help others find comfort as well. The third beatitude was blessed are the meek. We oftentimes confuse weakness with, um, yeah, meekness with weakness, but what the Beatitude was trying to help us see is that our strength 
comes from God, not from the things that we equate strength with. And then as Jesus is talking about strength, he wants us to crave righteousness. That just a little sip, nibble, or taste of goodness and doing the right thing isn't enough. When you start down that path of going God's way and living the way that God wants us to live, we crave the whole righteousness of God, getting it right and doing it right. Then when we seek to be right, to do right, and to live right, then we need to recognize that we are called to be merciful. Now, mercy in this sake, again, could be confused with weakness. But the word from the original Greek is chesed, which means to get inside someone's skin. And another way to think about that would be blessed are those who can empathize. Empathy is another way to consider merciful. And then we talked about how those who are pure in heart are blessed. Pure in heart means living with an attention, an intention of love, where our motivations, our intentions, and our actions are all aligned in love. And then last week, which was the climax of this series, talked about how blessed are the peacemakers, those who work for a godly peace, a peace that is worth keeping. And Jesus talked about that with a juxtaposition, if you will, about how the type of peace that the world gives is not a peace worth keeping. And as we brought that down toward the conclusion of last week's message, you see our hinge that brings us from the climax of the epilogue, which is reconciliation is key. The mission that Jesus came to confront and to perform in our lives was to bring us reconciliation to God. And also, again, as we would also see about comfort, to go and be ambassadors of reconciliation as well. And so we've gone through a really quick review of seven of the eight Beatitudes. And we have to remember that a Beatitude means a statement of utmost bliss. So we experience utmost bliss when we recognize that we are bankrupt without God, that we are to mourn our sinfulness, that we may equate strength and weakness and misunderstand those. But when we crave righteousness and we seek to be empathetic with people who are seeking God's way and we align our heart and our mind and our strength with our purity of intention and then we are seeking to be peacemakers, then what we are called to do and to live into as a statement of utmost bliss is to be a peacemaker seeking reconciliation with God and with each other. Which brings us to our beatitude for this week. We might want it to be one of those that just sing hallelujahs all day long. But the way that this one reads really truly reveals to us that we are living in an upside down world. So let's look first for our beatitude from the New International Version. Matthew chapter 5 verses 10 through 12. And this is what we read. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And again, this is Jesus speaking. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And let's read it in the message version. You are blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. These are the words that we see Jesus speak 
about what happens when we seek to live right side up in an, out, in an upside down world. That when you seek to live for God, you are inviting persecution into your life. How does that sit with you? How does that land? How does that challenge you or maybe comfort you to bring some perspective into the existence that you've been, that you've been living in yourself? It's challenging, isn't it? One of those common themes that I've learned throughout my walk and journey of faith is that we tend to think that living a life of faith is supposed to inoculate us or vaccinate us or protect us against difficulties and tragedies and all kinds of challenges in the world. And Jesus says that it's the exact opposite. That what happens when we seek to live for God and to live according to God's principles is it puts us at odds with the world. And as a result, our whole frame of reference or worldview is going to put us at odds with everything else that we see or that we feel or that we experience around us. Have you experienced this in your own life? That the more you draw closer to God, the more that you seek to live into God's plan for your life, it seems like the world has just gone absolutely crazy. And the more that we seek to be better, and I don't mean just being good people because being good alone will not save us. We are only saved by the blood of Christ. But the more that we seek to be good and to live right side up in an upside down world, it puts us at odds with the world and at odds with our friends and sometimes at odds with our family. And so we find ourselves living in this sense or this state of conflict where we have to say, blessed are the persecuted. It doesn't feel right. God's felt that way ever since Adam and, Eve dis Adam and Eve disobeyed him in the garden. Ever since Cain and Abel had their falling out shortly thereafter. Ever since God looked upon humanity before the flood and saw all the evil that we were inflicting upon each other. And as we read, it broke God's heart. We've been living this way. Bless you. Some of the ways that we live that brings this persecution in our life is a reminder that from last week is remembered that we tend to be driven by comfort and convenience and consumerism. But discipleship or living for God means that we need to make ourselves uncomfortable to live lives that can be inconvenient and dare I say even costly. That's quite an offer, isn't it? You may, this is, I can, I'm only paraphrasing Jesus in my new international Southern Mark Jordan version, is that you maybe think you are coming to me to live for comfort and convenience and accessibility to stuff. But if you're going to follow me, again, Jesus talking, you got to recognize that you are going to be in, uncomfortable in this world and your beliefs are going to be seen as inconvenient to those who you may be inclined to try to impress. And as a result, that which is inflicted upon you will feel and seem costly. Are you up for that? It's like an offer we can't refuse, right? Make myself uncomfortable, inconvenient, costly. Yeah, Jesus, bring it, right? We don't, that's not our natural reaction, isn't it? But Jesus goes back, we remember back in those words from the Beatitude. What Jesus is saying is temporary pain for eternal promise and reward. We are, all of us, going to live forever.
either in heaven or someone a little, a little further south. We are all going to live forever. And Jesus is talking about how the pain and the inconvenience and the discomfort that we are going to experience if we're living for God will be temporary, minute in the grand scheme of eternity. Or it may just be that we want to seek to live for comfort and convenience and to be able to achieve and acquire all the blessings of the world. And then we open ourselves up for an eternity of torment. One of those ongoing, everlasting questions is why do the people of faith seem to have it so poorly at times and people who deny God seem to have it so good? The scripture gives a little insight into that is that because of the love and the grace and the mercy of God, that those who reject him, they're having it the best they ever will right now. And to think about what that means for their eternal soul. Whereas those who seek to live for God, seek to live lives that are uncomfortable and inconvenient and even costly, we are storing for ourselves treasures in heaven, so to speak. And so the next slide says, if you live in the way that Jesus instructed, you will be seen as a threat to the world. And Jesus said that the persecution from the world proves this is not where you belong. Persecution that you get from the world is a sign and a symbol, and it is affirmation and assurance from God that you were created not for this world. And when we are restless and we find our rest in our faith and in our assurance and our eternal security, that's where we will find the comfort and the peace that we are seeking. And we can all of a sudden go back and look again at all of the Beatitudes, right? My goodness, I am spiritually bankrupt without God. I mourn my sinfulness. I recognize that my strength doesn't come from things of the world, but things of God. God, I crave your righteousness. I want to be right with you in all ways and all things. Please be merciful with me as I am merciful with others. Help me experience that empathy as I get in someone else's skin so that I may live with love as my motivation. And I may seek to be an ambassador of peace, recognizing that this may put me at odds with the world, but I would rather be at odds with the world than at odds with you. You see how this works? These beatitudes, these statements of utmost bliss, encourage us to live for him when it's hard, when it's uncomfortable, when it's inconvenient, when it's costly. Because that's exactly what God did for us. If you live with a godly worldview based on the other Beatitudes, you are inviting persecution. But it comes with a reward that is out of this world. In John chapter 15, 18 through 20, Jesus spoke these words. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted you, they will persecute, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they would obey yours also. This section here is where we get that I hate to say cliche, but we get that little phraseology that says, be in the world, but not of the world. That's what Jesus is trying to encourage us to be, right? Because the world is upside down from the way that God intended us to live. 
We've been living upside down in a right side up world ever since God created the heavens and the earth. We've been breaking God's heart ever since. But what we see is when we align ourselves with God and with God's nature, which is love, then amazing things happen. We align ourselves with God and we find ourselves in good company. Peter, who himself experienced some of this difficulty, he wrote these words. God will bless you if you have to suffer for doing something good. Isn't that one of the most confounding things that we can go through in our human condition? That when you do the right thing, when you seek to do something good, not misplacing kindness as we talked about a few weeks ago, but when you do the right thing and you do something good, that it can sometimes bring about uncomfortable results. Telling the truth is an example. Putting off and delaying immediate gratification so that we can live disciplined lives is another example. This puts us at odds with the way that we tend to want to live. But what we see from Jesus and Peter giving us this teaching out of personal experience is that when we do something for God, even when it puts us at odds with the world and we have to suffer for it, we can know that we are in good company. And so persecution, even though it is uncomfortable and inconvenient and costly in the way that we tend to want to live, it actually can have some good benefits. Are you ready for a little bit of hope this morning? It may seem a little heavy so far. I get it. I feel it. I've been thinking about this all week. But here are four ways that persecution can actually be helpful for you. Four ways that persecution can be helpful. First off, it can take our eyes off earthly rewards. Kind of the junk food of faith, if you will. The things that may taste good for a moment, but will never satisfy. Persecution, bless you, persecution can cause us to take our eyes off earthly rewards. In other words, it causes us to put our eyes where the real rewards are. Where is that? Someone say heaven, right? And then that relationship with Jesus, because he's going to start giving us those relationship uh, virtues and values right here and right now. He wants to come in and do the heavy lifting in your life today and to help give you the strength and the endurance that you need to continue to embrace the world of faith, hope, and love. The next thing that persecution does, and this one's a challenging one, okay, is that it helps to strip away superficial belief. Ooh, superficial belief. This gets back to that idea that I was mentioning a few moments ago, that we tend to want to think that our life of faith should protect us against difficulties. But the reality is, is that because our world has fallen, our world is in decay, living for God puts us at odds with that. And so it strips away these superficial beliefs. It helps us to see and to really come to grips with the idea of what Jesus was talking about. That if you're going to line yourself up with me, remember the world's going to hate you, but you're a good company because it hated me first. I can't think of another way to say that that would bring any more comfort than the way Jesus put it himself. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. You are in good company. It's going to strip away that superficial belief. When it strips away that superficial belief, then it strengthens our faith into that which is actually the way of God. Faith, hope, and love, right? Faith in the way that God, his word is true. 
his virtues, his values are right. Hope is that God's way wins in the end. And we're going to live with the end view in mind right now. And we're going to be motivated from here until then by love. Aligning our thoughts and our intentions and our motivations together with the plan and the purpose for God. And that when we can live this way, when the world seems against us, what does it do? It builds character. It builds character, right? We can oftentimes be inverted into thinking that adversity builds character. No, it reveals character, right? Adversity reveals character. I'm going to be interested in hearing how the the Georgia Bulldog players are going to talk about that come next week, right? After a tough game yesterday against a team they should have easily beaten, right? Coach Smart's going to make sure that they reveal how much character is going to be revealed in them. Uh, I, I jest just a little bit. But the reality is, is that adversity builds our character. The Apostle Paul wrote about this. We talked about suffering. Suffering develops patience. Patience develops character. And character builds our hope. And it's hope that doesn't disappoint, right? Faith is in the meaning that knowing that God is real. Hope is living with that end view in mind. And loving is living into that way from here until then. One of the things that's going to happen to you and to me and to all of us is we're going to feel a need to compromise. And there is great caution when it comes to compromise. Caution in compromise. One of, there's a Catholic priest or bishop, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but he said that evil preaches tolerance until it is dominant, and then it seeks to dominate good. That's not a direct quote, but the essence of it is the same. Evil preaches tolerance until it is dominant, and then it seeks to silence good. I think that's a lot closer. And so one of the things that we feel and that we are going to feel that inertia for is compromise. Why? Because we want to be grace-filled, right? We want to be care-filled. We want to be merciful. We want to be righteous. And we don't want anyone to think any worse of us than they already do. And so we're going to be inclined to compromise. But this is a tactic of the evil one, of the deceiver, of the accuser, is to get us to compromise on our values and our virtues to put us at odds with God, hoping and praying that God's grace and God's mercy is going to flood our lives. Now, it will. It always will. But we've got to be cautious in the way that we approach compromise. The next slide says, caution and compromise. Jesus teaches that there will be times when you will be tempted to compromise, but be careful. Know your values and stand up for him. Know your values. If you are insulted, persecuted, lied about, etc., then you can know that you are in the absolute best company. Friends, can you think of a time when you felt tempted or even torn to compromise your values for what you thought was a greater good? And it turned out that it wasn't. This is what Jesus is talking about. You see, the enemy, the accuser, the slanderer, he's got a whole vat of Crisco he's taken to that slippery slope. He's waxing on, he's waxing off all day long. I used to cry to kid earlier in the series. I get, anyway, so. And this is the threat that we face is that we're willing to compromise just a little bit. 
And then we hit that slippery slope and what happens? We're off to the proverbial races. Jesus is cautioning us, be careful. God's love, his grace, his mercy, his patience is renewed every single morning. He's going to flood it into your life. But we're going to face that temptation to compromise in certain areas where we know better. And why do we tend to compromise? To be liked. To make it comfortable. Maybe because it's convenient. Because we want to be liked and approved of. I was a far better than average student. I can remember some of those times when some of the popular kids in school were like, hey, give me the answer to number seven or whatever. And I had that thought that even though I know it's wrong to cheat, that maybe if I just give the answer, he'll like me. Or if I do her homework, she'll go to the problem with me or something like that, right? Trying to compromise for things that we know are not right, but they're comfortable, they're convenient. That's not how Jesus wants us to live. Stand up to do what's right. If you find out that you're going to be insulted or persecuted or lied about because you're standing up for the right things, that as you see there on the screen, you're in good company. And this brings us back to the heart of this entire series that Jesus came to prove for our lives right here and right now. It comes back to that word, reconciliation. It's the heart of Jesus's rescue mission for humanity. And the Last Supper proved it. How did it prove it? I'm glad you asked. I've got an answer for you. In a couple ways. The Last Supper was the Jewish Passover meal. It was celebrated to remind them of the time when God delivered the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And began the process of delivering them to the Holy Land. The Promised Land. Now part of that story that they share throughout the entire Passover meal reminds them that there were specific times throughout that entire journey where they got it wrong. Even with God right there in front of them, leading them, guiding and directing them with a pillar of cloud at day and a pillar of flame at night. God right there with them, and they still got it wrong. Therefore, a journey that should have taken them a couple days, maybe a couple weeks at most, and it taken them how long? 40 years. An entire generation had to die out before God was willing to take his promised people into the promised land. And you know who also was included in that? None other than Moses himself. As they go through the Passover meal, they are reminded that even Moses was tempted to compromise. He was impulsive at times. And as a result of his disobedience, he did not get to experience the promised land. But the story continues into the present that was there as Jesus was celebrating his last supper with the disciples. As he calls them into a moment of clarity while they are having their own basic holiday meal Jesus begins to flip the script 
to turn that which they knew as right side up, upside down, and revealing to them that that which they always thought was right side up was indeed upside down. And he was coming to finally fulfill the plan and the purpose that God had instituted from the very beginning before Adam and Eve eat from the fruit, before Cain and Abel had their falling out in the garden, before all of humanity was washed away in the flood except for Noah and his family. In the middle of that meal, Jesus took a loaf of bread, something very common, and then he broke it. And then he passed it along to his disciples, saying, take and eat from this, all of you. For this is my body that is given for you in the forgiveness of sins. And then as the disciples are still carrying on, again, having their holiday meal, Jesus lifted the cup and he said, this cup is now the cup of salvation containing my blood that is poured out for you and for many in the forgiveness of sins. So as often as you eat from the loaf and you drink from the cup, you were proclaiming the story of God's rescue mission of humanity until I come again. From creation to the fall, to getting it wrong, but being redeemed and restored thanks to the reconciling love of God given to us in Jesus Christ. Friends, what Jesus did is he took that common meal and he flipped the meaning upside down. This is no longer telling the story of God saving his people by delivering them from slavery in Egypt into the promised land. This is now the story of your reconciliation as we recognize that God came in the form of Jesus Christ to free us from our slavery to sin and to death and to help us acknowledge and to recognize that we are still getting it wrong, but he is flooding us with his love and his grace and his mercy to reconcile us back to him. And he is deploying us on a mission to help show and to prove and to live into the fact that God wants to reconcile all of us back to humanity. But we've got to recognize what it is the Beatitudes say, I don't have all seven of them memorized, but we are bankrupt spiritually when it comes to our life without God. We've got to mourn our sin. We've got to find strength that only comes from God. We've got to reconcile ourselves to realize that we need to crave all of God's righteousness to get inside someone else's skin to be that peacemaker and to recognize that so doing will cause us to be at odds with the world. But if it comes to being at odds with the world or at odds with God, I think the choice is pretty clear. And Jesus died on the cross, poured out his blood as an offer and invitation to receive that gift of reconciliation, to be restored into a right relationship with him and to live differently as a result. This is the invitation for you this morning as well as we conclude this message series. If you've yet to receive Jesus Christ's offer and his mission of reconciliation, to turn away from your old worn out, burned out way of living into a saved and redeemed relationship with him, don't let this moment pass you by. If you get on that path, but got off of it days or decades ago, you can come back and experience the wholeness and the fullness of who Jesus is right here and right now. This time is yours.
It's God's gift to you. It's up to you to accept it, to receive it, and to seek to live into it. Will you pray with me, please? Living and loving God, I give you thanks for this day in which you have given yourself for us. Lord, I acknowledge on my own, but on behalf of all of us who are gathered here, that we so easily and so frequently fall short. We want to make it about us, to put ourselves at the middle of everything and to allow the world to revolve around us and we find ourselves terribly disappointed when it doesn't, when you don't. And so, Lord, I pray that we may here in these moments get right side up in our upside down world, to put you at the center and the heart of everything and to align our lives with you, to be pure in heart. I pray, Almighty God, that you pour out your Holy Spirit on all of us who are gathered here and on these gifts of the loaf and the cup that they may be for us the body of Christ, that we as your church may be the body of Christ redeemed for service and ministry in the world by your blood, making us one with you and one with each other in ministry to all the world until you come and take us to that eternal heavenly banquet where your saints will feast forever. And so, Lord God, for those who are feeling that call, that urge to turn back to you, I pray right here and right now that they may hear that, that they may heed that, and they may live differently as a result. For those of us, Lord, who are still on the journey, committed as we are, convicted though we may be, I pray that we may commit to living for you in that faith and that hope and that love that you have placed within our hearts. We pray these in the holy, helping, healing name of Jesus, praying the words of the Lord's Prayer that you taught us to pray. The words are on the screen. Our Father who art in heaven. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for him. And we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.